podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi there, this is Elite, the only podcast that casts a wide net over the Elite Ice Hockey League. We're back for a new week, and now there are four. The final four for the Nottingham Viaplay Elite League playoffs are known, and we're taking a look at how they got there in a weekend with plenty of goals and shocks? Hmm, not so much. With me to go over what just happened is Luke James from British Ice Hockey website as we go over the playoff quarterfinals that were. You're listening to the Monday Review on Elite. Look, great to have you with me for this playoff season, apart from Christmas. is the most wonderful time of the year, I think you'll agree. What did you make of how things panned out over the last few days? For sure. Um, thanks for having me on, Craig. It's been a really interesting couple of days in the Elite League. Um, only one major shock, I'd say. I think the Nottingham Panthers advancing over the Guildford Flames was a big shock. The rest of them, the rest of the quarterfinal games, I think were really interesting. The, the one most interesting, I'd say, of, of the four was the Belfast Giants almost falling against the Glasgow clan that being a one goal series in the end was was really really tight um the game I watched on Sunday night Coventry of course against uh Cardiff Devils Coventry looked really really good in that second leg I, I didn't watch the the entirety of the first leg but they looked really good in that second leg and it was a shame that kind of they gave themselves such a mountain to climb in leg two but for sure there's so much to look forward to in terms of player finals weekend could there be an upset again it will be really really fascinating to see but I think there's been a big momentum shift from kind of the end of the regular season when I think most people would have said Belfast were clear favourites to I still think Belfast are clear favourites or favourites at least but how clear I think is now more of a question Yeah, fair point Well, we'll get to the games um, each one as we go each of the ties but I know with some players who, who come here and I spoke with Dyson Stevenson last week he was on the show last week they're not a fan of the short format they don't like this two-legged thing in the quarterfinals and then the, the, the playoff weekend itself they prefer a seven-game series I'm sure in an ideal world we all would I suppose but it is what it is And but it does serve up some drama doesn't it when you, you look at some of the games not just this year but some of the games we've had through the years as well For sure yeah I think everyone would prefer a longer series, whether that be three, five, or seven, um, but just the rink availability and that kind of stuff is yeah. difficult, and the logistics of it are a bit of a nightmare for the elite league. But I think the kind of an aggregate scoring system is fine for now. I think it works perfectly well. Uh, the only slightly awkward thing is like you can have a draw on the first night, which is obviously a little bit counterintuitive to what you'd normally expect. But I think the format is is pretty much as good as it can be currently. Um, and I think you saw that in the games this weekend with kind of Glasgow putting up such a good fight against Belfast, Coventry really taking it to Cardiff. Um, and of course, the big shock being Guildford losing out to the Nottingham Panthers. In a in a in two games that were just so high scoring, it was slightly ridiculous. So I think it does lend itself more to we're going to score more goals than you and be in that attack first mentality really does come through in some of those series. So no, I think the, the format's great and I think it should make for a, a really, really interesting final four weekend kind of as you see similarly to what they have in the NCAA. So let's get into it then. We'll start with the game you've already called a shock, the Nottingham Panthers against the, the Guildford Flames. It was 4-1 for the Panthers after the first leg um, on Saturday. Guildford won the second game 5-3. 
However, 7-6 on aggregate, not enough for Paul Dixon's men to progress. And you're saying that about it being a shock, but when you think back 5-6, maybe seven years ago, this probably would have been an expected outcome when you think of the Panthers team they had back then. Corey Nielsen was behind the bench back then, had such a good record in this competition. It would have been an expected outcome, wouldn't it? For sure. Um, and we ran a pre-season kind of predictor poll a la The Athletic in, uh, at the start of the season, and the top four were predicted pretty much Belfast as, as a long way clear. And then the next three being your Sheffields, Cardiffs and Nottingham's of the world with Guildford down in sixth or seventh. So I think even even before Puck dropped this season, people expected Nottingham to be up there, Guildford not to be. Um, and it just speaks to the job that Paul Dixon did in terms of recruitment and coaching this year that he got those players really, really great chemistry. They clicked almost immediately and they were super consistent the whole way through. Um, and yeah, just fallen just short at the final hurdle. Um you look at that game as well and you look at that series. Guildford relied on on power play scoring a little bit in the second leg. So they scored two on the power play, Nottingham all of them at all of them at even strength. And I think that is where it caught up with them a little bit. They just went a little bit too far at even strength, gave away a little bit too much at the other end, and that, that was ultimately the difference. But it's a huge result for for Nottingham for sure, because going into it, I think kind of if we had this conversation a week ago, how many people would have said, yep, yeah, Nottingham are gonna going to knock out Guildford. Relatively few people, I think I certainly wasn't among them. So yeah, for me, that was a a really interesting result, a great result for Nottingham, a, a poor result for Guildford, in all honesty, given how good their season has been, how close they came in the Challenge Cup in the Elite League and now to lose out in the in the quarterfinals is a bit of a shame considering how strong they were, but for sure, a, a great series all round. And that's the thing, when you look back on Saturday's game, Panthers, I think we're 4-0 up at one point, and then Daniel Tedesco's goal, um, late on for, for Guildford, you wondered if that was maybe the turning point. Then they got the three goals early at the start of the, the game on Sunday, and you wondered if momentum was swinging, but you know, Panthers give them their due credit, they held on. For sure. Um, the momentum shift for me was, I mean, if you look at the scorers, so Ryan Tate, four minutes, Ryan Tate, seven minutes, and then Crinella on nine minutes to, to basically even it up in the second leg. I thought at that point, Nottingham bound for a capitulation, as we've seen a couple of times this season, Nottingham have been on on the receiving ends of pretty nasty score lines. Um, and then Nottingham get two back in the first period, and it's pretty much even Stevens in terms of where they started the second leg. So I think the, the turning point in that game was after the third Guildford goal, where Nottingham can then come back and score two. I think that's kind of a real judge of their character and resilience going into the, um, going into the final four. So Corey Nielsen came back to Nottingham earlier this season, taking over from Gary Graham. It wasn't a good spell at them. Their season didn't really improve that much. They still finished seventh place, their worst position, their worst placing in their Elite League history. But Corey Nielsen has this habit of getting the best out of his players in these kind of tournaments. So is this the biggest and best result of their season? And how much can that momentum carry them into next weekend? Oh, comfortably the best result of, of the season. It should give them huge confidence as well because this is they've just eliminated the team that took Belfast all the way to the to the final weekend of the season in the Elite League. And then you have kind of a big win over them and then you face Belfast next. And I think you've got players in that Nottingham squad who, well, all the players in the Nottingham squad, frankly, wouldn't have been happy with how the season's panned out. And now they have the opportunity to right some of those wrongs. Um, there's only so much pain I think you can wash away in the playoffs in the Elite League just because of how... The elite league regular season is viewed versus the versus the playoffs and challenge cup or whatever. But I think it's a real opportunity for them to go into the summer on more of a high and say, look, we we did X, Y, or Z in the playoffs, and I think that will be a really good thing for them. Um, 
of course, a, a certain goal goaltender might be keen to to get one over the Belfast Giants and that kind of thing as well. So there's there's so much at stake in that game. Um, and as you say, Corey Nelson has a habit of finding a way to win those big important games, those one-off games. Um, and as you say, back back to the format of the of the of the playoffs, the one of the issues is if you have one bad period, you're pretty much done for. We saw that with Coventry in the second period of their first leg. Um, and we saw that a little bit with Guildford as well. So if Nottingham can just be consistent through those three periods against Belfast next weekend, it's it could be a really tight game um, and a, a great opportunity for them because anyone could beat anyone in the, in the Elite League is ultimately the bottom line, especially in the playoffs and the slightly funky uh, format. So yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity for them. And before we move on, a final word on Guildford. Finished the season in second place. They've came up short in this quarter final. A phenomenal season, I think, when you look at the bigger picture overall for them. So where do they go from here? They'll have taken a lot from this season, I'm sure. It might hurt right now, but in the fullness of time, I dare say they'll be ready to go again. So where do they go from here after this? I think for them, the, the priority has to be keeping as many of their players together as possible. Um, keep that core together and see what they can do next season. The difficulty is kind of how many will see this season in the Elite League as being the launch pad to go on to somewhere in Europe or North America or whatever it might be, or another team in the Elite League, perhaps. Um, so the question is, how many of those players can they keep together? How many new players can they convince to join and, and be a part of the squad next season? Um, they're the two biggest question marks. And I think the really interesting thing about Guildford and the interesting thing about the Elite League as a whole is as much as coaching is super important and, and individual player performances are super important, to a large extent, the league is is won or lost, more so lost in the summer. And we saw that with Guildford, how they, they built a brilliant team and were consistent throughout. Belfast built a pretty good team and then got better as it went along. But if you can build that strong core in the summer, then it gives you a great launching pad to move forward from. And I think the question is, for Guildford, how well they can recruit, given the fact that obviously we've seen they can't play in the Champions League, for example. So there's some, some plates to spin for them. But no, for sure, I think Paul Dixon will see this as a a massive step forward. The question is, can they sustain it and and which players will be back for them next year? OK, let's move on. You've already mentioned uh, Belfast Giants and Glasgow clan. Very interesting tie, you say. I can confirm that. I saw both games. First versus eighth, and one I think many would have had Giants winning quite comfortably, although they did win it, maybe not comfortably, but they were certainly made to work hard for it in the end. What was your overview of that? I think the thing that we see with Belfast Giants a lot and we saw this at player finals weekend last season, is they have a habit of switching it on and switching it off. Um, sometimes that helps them in the sense that they can just blow through teams and, and put up ridiculous scorelines. And sometimes it it hinders them in the fact that they just haven't quite got it. And I think that's what we saw a little bit in this series. Um, it's also massively important to give Glasgow credit in that one. As you say, they took them so, so close. Nobody predicted a Glasgow win in that series. I don't think anyone really predicted a one-goal series either. To be honest, um, I worked for the clan. I didn't either. <laughs> no, precisely. Um, and all of the difficulties that, as you'll know, Craig, all the difficulties that Glasgow have had this season being short-benched, not being able to recruit the players that you might want mid-season, losing players to, to North American clubs, European clubs, so on and so forth. It's been a really difficult season in Glasgow. And when you can compare the mood of the club, of the fan base, just the general vibe of the clan versus the, the Giants is completely different. So I think it's a massive credit to them that they took them so close. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how that translates into the summer plans. Um, the big takeaway for me is, is this like 
Belfast wobbling at the wrong time, or is this them seeing Glasgow as a potentially softer opponent and they didn't quite take it seriously enough? How much did they have a hangover, literally or metaphorically, from that title win as well is, is another question. Um, so it'll be interesting to see next weekend, are the Giants going to be able to turn it back on against against the Panthers? Well, it's funny you say that. Adam Keefe did kind of allude to that, the fact that they won the league last week. That's obviously been their big game all season. And then you're asking them to, as you, as you put it, switch it back on again, coming into playoff mode again. And he did re- refer to that. One thing that, that, that stood out for me watching the games, Belfast Giants' penalty killing has been top-notch all season. But of the six goals they conceded over the two ties, four of them were power play goals for the clan. That's got to be a concern for them coming into these games this weekend. For sure, and they're normally really good special teams and uh, power play and, and penalty kill as well, and they can tend to rely on really solid goaltending from from Beskarawani as well. I think the key for Belfast, and you, you saw this a couple of times in the Champions League, you saw this a couple of times in the Elite League, is how many penalty minutes do they give away? Because the more you give away, the more difficult it is to defend power plays anyway. Um, so for me, their route to victory against Nottingham is just stay out of the box, and I think the rest will take care of itself because they are in my opinion, at least the best team at 5-5 five five by a considerable distance in the Elite League, to be honest, Belfast. Um, so, yeah, if they can tighten it up in terms of how many penalties they give away, turn back the physicality a little bit, um, because the, the officiating isn't quite what you see kind of in the NHL where anything goes in the playoffs. It's not quite like that in the Elite League. So for me, if they kind of make sure they don't give the officials a decision to make, stay out of the box as much as possible, and then I think they'll be fine, to be completely honest. I think it was more a blip in terms of the power play uh, and penalty kill for them against Glasgow than more of a worrying trend. Talking about the clan, um, as you've already alluded to, quite the season, ups and downs, players leaving, players they couldn't sign, what have you. And Dyson Stevenson's comments post-game last night talked about his team finally getting respect, which I thought was a bit pointed. Did you hear those comments, first of all? And if so, what did you make of them? I think it's difficult, um, not having watched a whole lot of Glasgow being at the other end of the country and whatever. Um, I can understand it from a player perspective of being like, you had that, Glasgow had that dreadful start where it was a, a franchise record number of defeats in a row. Um, and it felt like the season at that point was completely done. And then there was a comment in around January, February time, I can't remember who made the comment where it's like, yeah, we just can't get the players we need at this point in the season. Um, and then for them to qualify for the playoffs is an achievement in and of itself, I felt, because you looked at Fife when they were in that Challenge Cup quarter final, uh, Challenge Cup final rather, and it looked like the momentum was truly on on the flyer side. So for Glasgow to get in the playoffs after the start they had, I think is a really good achievement for the, for the players on the ice because they fought against the odds and, and managed to get through. Um, and again, to get so close to beating the Giants or so close to taking it to overtime, I think, again, is a really solid achievement. So I get what they mean, Dustin Stevenson means by kind of that lack of respect throughout the season. But I think there's also an element of the clan had such a horrible year in so many different ways where it was kind of the picture on them was always going to be more negative than positive just because kind of you go into the season with pretty high expectations and they fell away so, so quickly. So I think good for the players because the ones who have stuck around all year kept those levels up. Really, really commendable job. But of course, it's organisationally one to forget, I'd, I'd imagine. 
The game also marked the retirement of Craig Peacock, leaving the clan and ending a 16-year career where he's won league titles with Belfast. He got 39 caps for the Great Britain national team and someone who's universally popular, not only for the person he is, but the character he shows on the ice as well. How should Peaks be remembered in your opinion? A really great player, really, really good player. As you say, won at numerous levels, represented clubs really well across the elite league and, and was was brilliant for the national team as well. And I think the, the thing that's often not given enough credence in hockey, especially in like leagues like the elite league, is, is that longevity. Played such a long time at the highest level in the UK. Um, 34 years age of age currently is, is when he's going to retire. Um, and just to have that consistency throughout predominantly in middle or bottom six roles, I think is really impressive. Um, and as you say, he's someone who gave it, gave his all this season and was a relatively kind of like bright spark in a dark year for for Glasgow. And if you look through kind of his his stat line, it's, it's, it's really impressive stuff. And I think, yeah, in terms of what he's done throughout is is really, really impressive and, and, and is a credit to him. Even if you go back and look at kind of the performances that he gave for the Storm in the Elite Series, he only put up three points, but he was one of their better players throughout defensively. Um, and again, in the Elite League, I think we tend to underrate defensive ability in forward. So that's, again, another thing to talk about because he was really solid on both sides of both sides of the puck. OK, let's move on to the game you saw on Sunday. Coventry plays against the Cardiff Devils. Um, Cardiff winning 5-1 in the Sky Dome on Saturday, but losing 2-1 at home on Sunday to Coventry. Who you, you, I didn't see the game. You did look. You, you said Coventry played very, very well. But was there an element of Cardiff just doing enough to make sure they get through without doing anything really silly? No, not really. Not nope. for me. The first forty minutes, first thirty-five minutes, Coventry were by far and away the better team at five and five. It was not even particularly close, to be honest. I thought that they forechecked really, really solidly. Didn't give up much going the other way. I've got to say, Ranier in goal for, for Coventry, the, the Hungarian international was superb. Um, so the only thing you could say, kind of in, not in defence of Cardiff, but kind of to doff to your cap to Cardiff, was he was forced to make a couple of really, really solid saves in in the early goings in that second leg. Um, but for me, Coventry were, were the better team in the second leg by distance, but didn't have enough in the tank to be able to, to make it really close in terms of the aggregate score. Um, and again, I think Coventry have had an underratedly good season. Um, if you look at the regular season standings, they only finished, what, three points behind the Devils? I don't think many people would have predicted that. And again, only 12 points behind the Giants. Um, so in terms of Coventry season, I think that's that's really impressive stuff, considering kind of the budgetary constraints that they work under, how well they kind of build that core. They off, in Coventry, they they build a core, they stick with it for numerous years and then pull through. Um, you've seen that with players like Halbert um, and Johnny Curran being the two Team GB examples for this summer. So no, I think Coventry have done a really good job overall this season. A shame for them to have kind of a poor 40-minute spell in that first leg that cost them, um, but they should take confidence into the summer and into next year because they did a, a pretty pretty decent job, both in this series and and all year long. Now, Neil Francis was on the show last week talking, uh, he was recalling actually Cardiff's quarterfinal against Glasgow last year. And on the face of it, it seems to be quite different when you compare the, the two ties. However, he did say Cardiff have under, underachieved quite a lot this year. So what shape do you think Cardiff are in going into Nottingham next weekend? It's difficult. It's, it's a little bit similar to last year, I think, in terms of the fact that Cardiff were expected to, to really challenge for the title. Didn't. Um, and again, I think this year people thought they'd be right up there with the Giants and, and Steelers were the two that were predicted and they just didn't quite have enough kind of 
quality in the tank or consistency, a combination of both, I think. But no, they're they're a dangerous team. They can beat anyone on a good night. We saw that last year in the final against the Giants, and I think we could maybe see that again this time around. Um, the, the semi-final series that they're in against Sheffield will be really, really fascinating because both teams have players who, when they're at the top of the game, are up there with the best in the league. Um, so it's going to be really exciting. I think Cardiff go into it as underdogs, but I don't think they'll mind that. I think Cardiff for a team that kind of thrive when the pressure's off a little bit more, when expectations are lowered. Um, and I think they'll go into that game against Sheffield, knowing that it will be a not a major upset because Cardiff are a really good team by their own right. But I think it will be a small upset if they if they were to beat the Steelers. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think they should go into it relatively confident um, and just lean on those top six players, top 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 pair defensemen to, to pull them through. You mentioned Coventry there, the fact they finished fifth in the league, but were so close in terms of points to the Devils above them, even as close as, was it 12 points you said on, on the Belfast Giants as well? But if you're a Coventry fan, how will you look back on this season? What can you take from it um, going ahead? It's difficult because kind of you say those stats and, and fifth doesn't sound like, when you say we finished fifth in the table, it doesn't actually sound that great necessarily. Yeah. Um but no, I think I think Coventry should take a great deal of confidence from that because they've, they've they've done remarkably well to be in the race for that long and still not that far back from from the eventual champions and, and runners up and whatever. So no, I think that they've done a great job. Um, the interesting question for me is kind of how can they strengthen? Um, how can they sustain this kind of progress? Because if you go back to the COVID shortened season, so Coventry started that year relatively slowly, built throughout. Um, and then going into the second half of the year, we're but far and away kind of the informed team. And people were talking about Coventry as a team that could maybe upset their way to to a playoff championship or whatever. Um, that was the year Luke Ferrara was was scoring for fun for them. That's right. So, yeah, for me, I think Coventry just need to keep doing what they're doing. I think Danny Stewart does a really, really underrated job there. I think Coventry are an underrated team. And I think they have an opportunity to to, to maybe take inspiration from Guildford because at the end of the day, they only finished 10 points back from them which in the context of a title race is a lot, but in terms of kind of one summer in terms of recruitment could be quite interesting. They, of course, lose Ross Venus to, to, we assume, the National League. We don't know that, but he's not playing in the Elite League next year. Um, so, yeah, it's an opportunity to retool a little bit, see who will come back and then go from there. But Coventry always seems to be a relatively happy camp. Danny Stewart seems to have them all pulling in the same direction. So, for me, more of the same from, from Coventry next year, and hopefully they can kind of tighten the gap to the top of war even more. So on to the last tie. It was the first one to be completed, but we're talking about it last. Manchester Storm against the Sheffield Steelers. A 2-2 first leg drop in the Storm Shelter on Saturday. And then, uh, sorry, Friday it was Saturday. It was the second leg. 5-2 win for the Steelers um, in their arena. 7-4 in aggregate altogether. Now, 2-2 on Friday, you kind of thought, hmm, maybe, what's going on here? And then Anthony DeLuca scores for Storm early on. And you started to wonder, didn't you? You just wonder if maybe Storm had it on the night, but it didn't work out for them in the end. For sure. And again, I think the Storm are a team who surpassed expectations a little bit. I think they were helped by the fact that Nottingham had a really rough season to kind of leapfrog them in the standings. But going back to the poll that we ran in pre-season, Manchester were predicted to finish dead last beneath the Dundees and, and Fives of the world who were also kind of predicted lower down the standings at that point. So in terms of expectations versus reality, I think the Storm were much, much better than people anticipated under kind of Ryan Finity as GM and and Matt Jin as, as head coach, I think he did a really tremendous job. Um, 
it was always going to be difficult for them in the second leg. Um, one of the advantages that Manchester have is, of course, playing on that smaller ice sheet. That's something that Aaron Fox spoke about after the game as well. And the Steelers in the end just clicked. Um, Sheffield, for me, are a team that wobble and are a little bit kind of when the momentum swings against them, it really gets them down. It really does swing against them when when the momentum's in their favour. They're very, very, very difficult to beat and are up there and, and, and can take a game to anyone. Um, so once Sheffield got their noses in front in that series, it was pretty much over in front of a Pax Arena in, in Sheffield on that Saturday night game. But for me, Manchester did a, a relatively strong job considering the amount of pressure that Sheffield were under, the amount of motivation that Sheffield had. And at the end of the day, the the difference in resources between the two franchises. So for me, a, a, a pretty reasonable result for both sides. I think Manchester did everything they could. Sheffield, despite having that little shake at the well, the end of the first leg and the start of the second, pull through and get a, a pretty, a pretty nice result for them. So no, plenty to look forward to for, for Sheffield next weekend for sure. Definitely, and you touched on more or less one of the, the points I made about the fact that they, you know when they turn up, they, they can see a game over the line. They'll maybe scrap to have to do it, but that's a big quality, especially when you get into this this end of the season. And it can work both ways because if Sheffield start poorly and can't tackle the tackle the slide then they're in trouble um but when they can and the momentum's back in their favor it's really really positive and, and good for them and i think they'll take more confidence into the semi-finals than cardiff will for example and that will really work in their favor um sheffield are a really good offensive team with a very good netminder who can score at will but also have a little bit of a habit of giving up silly goals um so the question is can they find that consistency? Can they just play safe hockey in that semi-final to see them through? Um, I think it'll be fascinating. I think that semi-final is really, really difficult to call. Um, and I think will probably be decided by goaltending. Um, and if it is decided by goaltending, I'd, I'd lean more towards Sheffield than I would Cardiff at this point in time. You spoke positively about Manchester there. And one of my questions here was, you know, how do they build for next season then? How do they build on what they've achieved this year? Fantastic finish for them. Their highest league placing since 2018. It was Matt Ginn's first season as well. So where do you feel they need to strengthen to try and maintain that kind of level next year? Uh, it's the same as usual, really. They just need to keep their best players together um, and improve the bottom half of the roster. I think that's where you find a lot of improvement year on year. Um, if you look at some of the players on the team, Anthony DeLuca coming in, 46 games played, 29 goals, 24 assists, 53 points, is super impressive. Of course, there are mitigating circumstances in terms of why Manchester were able to land Anthony DeLuca at that point in the season. But if they can keep hold of him, that would be a massive, massive boost for them. And again, if you look, they had four players who scored more than 40 points. That's That's a pretty big deal. They had another three who scored more than 30 points. And they really did spread the load throughout the team in terms of the production. They were a team who people across the top nine were really popping up with points on a regular basis. And that's always, always, always a big deal. Um, the other thing that shouldn't come as a massive surprise, given that the head coach is a former netminder um, and perhaps the surname of the current netminder, um, Jeremy Brodeur was an incredible pickup for them mid-season, came in to replace Hayden Levine and did a tremendous job. He finished what... Um, a 9-16 save percentage on the season in, in regular season play, that's through 36 appearances. So if the Storm can keep up with that goaltending, I think that'll be massive for them. So yeah, it's sign a, well, re-sign Brodeur or keep someone of a similar quality um, and then see what that momentum will do for them because they've got a good British core. Um, I've, I think they've got a, a pretty strong British core. 
if they can build a cohesive team that likes playing on that smaller rink, then they're in a, a relatively strong position to be a, a pain for other teams to play against once again next season. And a final word, we won't delve into it too much because he's still got games to play, but Jonathan Phillips said goodbye to the Steelers fans on Saturday, as did Brendan Connolly, who I believe is, is retiring as well. But Jono in particular, such a servant for that club. He's been there you know, and done it all in that time. What do you say about him that hasn't already been said? The tributes have been pouring in on him for days now, and he is really one of the top, top players this country's ever produced. I don't think there's much to say that hasn't already been said. Um, to be honest, not least by someone who doesn't um, kind of support the Steelers because obviously they're the people who have followed his career the closest. Um, what I would say is that when a player retires, whatever sport it may be, whatever level they've played at, um, the reaction to the announcement is always telling. And the fact that Jonathan Phillips is someone who has commanded respect from every single fan base across the Elite League and obviously the clubs that have dropped out of the Elite League since kind of he's been in the competition um, speaks volumes about just how good he's been domestically but also the stuff that he's done for the national team as well he's someone who just deserves all all the credit that he gets and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how he navigates playoff finals weekend how he navigates if he's named in the squad which I'm sure he will be the 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 world championships in the summer as well um so yeah there's there's not huge a huge amount to add to to be honest Jonathan Phillips is is a legend of the sport in this country and um yeah, I guess the Steelers are hoping to be able to give him the send-off that, that they would say he'd, he'd deserve. So, yeah, all eyes on that player final weekend for him. That's it for this edition of the Monday Review on Elite. And my thanks to Luke James from British Ice Hockey for his thoughts on such a busy weekend. We'll have more episodes to come during the course of the week, so keep an eye on our social media channels to find out who else will be joining me as we build up to the final four weekend in Nottingham. Follow us on Twitter at underscore Elite IH and like Elite Podcast on Facebook. Also, subscribe and download now from your preferred podcast provider, including Spotify, Amazon and Apple, and new episodes will drop as and when they're ready. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon for another episode. Elite Hockey, Elite Listening. Bye for now. Podcast Network.